0: You're listening to The Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's preacher is Pastor Brian Flammey. To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God. You may be seated. In the name of Jesus, amen. Jesus shows us his kingdom uh, with the gentle and the quiet images of the farm. He paints in our imagination a picture of a sower who goes out to sow. The farmer reaches into his sack. He grabs a handful of seed and he throws it. The seed flies through the air and it lands everywhere, near and far. Some of it lands on good soil and some of the seed lands on bad soil. But the sower doesn't mind. If he worried about where every seed would fall, he would never get any of the sowing done. So he casts, recklessly almost, upon the good soil and the bad. The tranquility of the farm is broken when you hear about the violence that comes from devouring birds, parched rocks, and choking thorns. Jesus wants us to be startled. He wants us to hear that his preached word, a word of peace, is constantly under attack. When the Lord speaks to and in this world, he has enemies that rise up and in a blind rage try to tear apart the gifts, the gifts of peace that God wants to give to you, that he wants to give to sinners. As it goes for God's Word, so it goes for your faith. Before you belonged to these enemies, but now, the, but now that God has called you to be His own, the enemies that attack the Word now also attack your faith. They threaten to destroy the creation that God has planted in your heart to rob you of the hope of everlasting life. Jesus tells us all of these things so that you won't be afraid. Jesus is saying, yes, God's Word is attacked. It is resisted, but it is not defeated. The sower cannot be stopped. His seed can't, can't be kept from hitting the soil of men's hearts. Jesus promises that His Word grows, and it yields fruit. That is the comfort of Jesus' parable. Jesus names three enemies in this parable that work against the word and against faith. These are the same three enemies that you learned about in catechism class. It's good to remember this, you know, that Luther, when he talks about when we pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done, what are we praying? We're praying that God would break and hinder every evil plan and purpose of the devil, the world, and our sinful nature, which do not want us to hallow God's name or to let his kingdom come. Again, we learned that when we pray, lead us not into temptation, we're praying that God would guard and keep us so that the devil, the world, and our sinful nature may not deceive us or mislead us into false belief, despair, and other great shame and vice. Luther didn't invent the three enemies of the world and the devil and the flesh. He's repeating what Jesus taught him. He's repeating what Jesus clearly teaches in today's gospel lesson. There are three enemies. The devil, our flesh, and the world, Jesus says, the seed is the word of God. And his first lesson is about the devil. He says, the ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word, or takes away the word from their hearts, so that they may not believe and be saved. It's a little bit disturbing, isn't it? How close Jesus is describing the devil and his demons. Right? We want them to be far off. Almost, mythology, you know, almost to be myths in our understanding, you know. Uh, we should worry about things that we can see. How, how do we have time to worry about things that we can't see? And yet, Jesus says that the devil and his demons are very close. They're very near. In fact, every time somebody hears the gospel with indifference, it's because the devil has come to take the word of God out of their hearts. To stop up their ears so they cannot hear the preaching of both God's law that admonishes sin and God's gospel, by which the Father's heart and his mercy are revealed. Now, the devil doesn't do this (laughs) by some sort of mysterious power or dark magic. The devil steals away the word of God by his lies. That's how it's always been. The Lord's word creates, and it blesses, The devil comes, and he tries to corrupt and to curse. And so, in the very beginning, God created marriage between a man and a woman, and he blessed this union through whom children would come by calling it good. Now the devil jumps in, and he says, Well, it can't be that good, right? I have needs that perhaps marriage cannot fill. What if my marriage right now doesn't make me all that happy? And in that way, the devil would turn marriage into a curse. The Lord creates a church where sinners can hear the mercy of God for their souls. And the devil says, on the other hand, what? There's no sin. There is no need for you to hear about grace or to assuage guilt. What are those things? In short, the Lord gives us his word, and the devil says, did God really say any of that? Or does any of that really matter? But I want you to know this, and this is Jesus' point. The chief attack of the devil isn't against the the works and the words of God out there. It's against the word of God that strikes your heart. Yes, he attacks the creed. Our confession of faith is absurd. But worse, but worse is when the devil comes by and says that Jesus doesn't really love you. How can he love you? If God really knew how much of a sinner you really were, you would totally despair of hearing about the forgiveness of sins. That that preaching must be for somebody else. It can't be for you. This, of course, is the same preaching as saying that you have no sins and no need of a Savior. The devil packs down the dirt of men's hearts. He makes them calloused, beaten down paths where the word of comfort is devoured even as it strikes. The second attack comes from our own flesh. What is our flesh? We talk about the flesh a lot. It's the weakness, it's the weakness of our corrupted nature. Jesus says that when the seed is sown upon the rock, these are those who, when they hear the word, receive it with joy. But these have no root. They believe for a while and in a time of testing fall away. Now, for some reason, the English has it here as testing, and we know that God does test us. He, he places the Holy Cross into our lives so that we can be driven to Him in faith and in prayer, that we may cling to God's Word. No, the word here is actually perazmon, temptation, the same thing that we that we pray against in the Lord's Prayer. Now, this this fact says two things. First, that the devil doesn't stop lying once faith has been planted into your heart, once you receive the Word of God with joy. Second, your human nature is too weak to withstand up under the devil's continued attacks against your body and your soul. For the unbeliever, when their bodies and their minds and their souls are afflicted, they think that their sufferings come from chance or perhaps through some sort of indifferent fate. You know better. The devil grabs a hold of the things that God would use as the cross. Pain and suffering and anguish. And he would use these things to become reasons to despair and to doubt God's grace. He wants you to bear up under pain and suffering and hardship by your own strength. But what happens? What happens when you try to draw in on yourself for help? You're met with corruption. Lingering corruption that not only is too weak to resist the lies, pain, and suffering, it's a corruption that secretly desires that the devil's lies would be right. It's a corruption that wants to be rid of faith, to forget about good works, to give itself over to gratifying the desires of the flesh. Jesus is right. There is no root here. Only the vanity of twisted lusts that ends in death. The third attack comes from strange seeds that choke your trust in God's promises. Jesus says, "And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. That is that their fruit, the fruit never comes to be what the sower wants it to be. It's not true faith. In fact, it's a faith that thinks that it can live alongside other faiths, that it can limp along between the gods, of which, you know, faith in in the Lord God of Israel, who has come to us in his son Jesus, that this is just but one Lord and an expansive pantheon of other lords that we worship. Now, we'll, we've talked about this before, and I think it's worth bringing up again. Any of the good things that God gives us, right? Our daily bread, our physical and even spiritual blessings sometimes, that these could be corrupted and twisted by the devil's lies into something wicked and idle. And so Adam believed the devil's lie that wisdom was to be more highly valued than the Word of God. King David was convinced by the devil that Bathsheba's beauty was there for his pleasure, even at the cost of Uriah's life, even though it went against the, God's word. He believed in that moment when he lusted after Bathsheba, upon, when he was standing upon his palace, he believed that the devil's lie was right. The Lord always warns us against mammon. Now, this isn't money or food or possessions in and of themselves. They are God's gifts that have been placed up on their own altars, demanding fear and love and trust. The world in which we live, that's been trapped by the devil's catechism of lies, loves to preach these kinds of sermons. They would have you put your faith, that is, your Christian faith, To be but one priority among many, as one loyalty among many. But as you're taught to fear your bank statements, your kids' college tuition, your cancer, and your entertainment, Jesus says that godly fear, love, and trust are choked and it dies. God's word is attacked. But it is never defeated. It's not false. It's not powerless. The enemies surround us and, filled with hate and rage, they want to destroy us, they want to destroy the word. They want to destroy the preacher of the word, Jesus. But they cannot. The Lord promises, as for that in the good soil, there are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. That is, the word of God accomplishes the purpose for which it was sent. No matter what the devil and the flesh and the world may try. The devil at this point would step in, by the way, and try to rob us of this great comfort of this parable by saying that, well, you see what Jesus is really trying to do here? He's trying to tell you to prepare yourselves, to make sure that your hearts are good soil so that when the word of grace comes, it will be able to find a home there. But Jesus didn't say anything about the soil preparing itself. That's absurd. Nowhere in the Scriptures is it taught that we ought to prepare ourselves for grace. I can't remember, in fact, it goes totally counter to the picture of the parable. Soil doesn't organize itself to be good and then to receive, you know, the the seed from the farmer. In fact, the last time I checked, soil is quite indifferent. Yes, this parable teaches us to open our eyes, to see the dangers of the flesh and the devil and the world, and to, uh, so that we can also learn to examine ourselves and to see just how far these temptations have uh, come into our hearts and are fighting against God's Word there. This should drive us to prayer as Jesus commands us, just as He, de- he commanded his, his disciples on the night of His betrayal in Gethsemane. Pray, lest you fall into temptation. Also, an important lesson of this parable is that the fault lies not with the seed or with the sower, but it rather rests in the soil with the wickedness of our own hearts that rejects the Word of God. But the main point, the main thing, is that the devil, the flesh, and the world cannot and will not stop the sower nor his seed from bearing fruit. And that is wonderful, because the devil wants us to look at our baptism that's administered over there, and the preaching that happens here, the catechism classes that take place over there and in your homes, and you would say, what good is all of this accomplishing? Don't you see how the church is crumbling in on herself? We're hemorrhaging members. Our budgets are tight. The church and her preaching, it's no longer relevant in the world. The culture doesn't care about us. They've passed us by. We mean nothing to them. In fact, we probably become dangerous to them. The devil wants to create a crisis where we have to change everything or else we will lose our stature in the eyes of sinful men. But Jesus is saying to expect... And when people are baptized, when sinners hear the forgiveness of sins in faith, when preaching happens from the purity of God's Word, it's going to be attacked. People are going to hate it. Most of the ears that that the Word of God falls upon won't even care. But still, we are not to despair. We are to cling to Jesus' promise that the Word bears fruit, even even the fruit of faith in our own hearts. And that is enough to silence all of the devil's cries to a crisis and emergency, all of that propaganda. It's wonderful. The Lord is telling us that the baptism that we see here and the Lord's Supper that's administered here and the preaching that's done here, the love of Christ that is shown in between us, none of this will cease. Because God's Word is powerful enough to break up the stones of unbelieving hearts, to shatter the teeth of the devouring demons, and to cut off the choking idols. You, dear saints, bear this fruit in your own hearts, not because you have drawn in on yourselves to find strength, but because you have gained the endurance offered to you by God himself. Jesus does not lie. His word is not false. He has you. You belong to him by his grace and forgiveness. And the devil, the world, and your sinful flesh can never take that away. To God alone be the glory. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus until life everlasting. Amen.